This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Creating a rhythm or making that music or even just receiving it, like just listening, letting it wash over ourselves, let it bring up the memories, let it bring up feelings, let it create the chills, you know, all of those experiences. um, Those are healing in themselves because they move us from one place to the next. And I think that's what allows us to grow and heal in general. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Music and Children with our guest, Lori Berkner. Recognized as the queen of kids' music by People Magazine, Lori is a singer, songwriter, lyricist, author, and founder of Two Tomatoes Records. With more than 1 billion total streams, an average of more than 22 million monthly streams, and millions of CDs and DVDs sold, Lori's songs have become beloved classics for children worldwide. As a leader and innovator in children's music entertainment for the past quarter of a century, Lori has released 15 best-selling award-winning albums, was the first recording artist ever to perform in music videos on Nick Jr., appeared regularly on the network's Jack's Big Music Show, and helped develop the short-form animated musical preschool series Sing It, Lori! on Sprout TV. Lori also created two Lori Berkner Song and Story Kitchen series with Audible Studios, who released them as 10-chapter audiobooks through the Audible Originals brand. There's a little more. We're still going here. <laughs> Lori has authored several picture books based on her songs and has written the music and lyrics for three off-Broadway children's musicals produced by New York Children's Theater. Lori obviously maintains a very busy nationwide touring schedule, both solo and with the Lori Berkner Band, which she's on tour now, and has performed at the Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, and the White House, among many other prestigious venues. When she's not making music, whenever that is, Lori enjoys visiting the farmer's market for organic produce, knitting, baking, and spending time with her husband and their daughter. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks. I know I said a lot there, but I uh, actually, everyone, I cut a lot down. And uh, there's just so much <laughs> to say to honor you. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to um, brag about you a, a little more because 
I was really blown away with the other things that you have been called. USA Today, the undisputed queen of kindy rock, the LA Times, Lori Berkner does what Fred Rogers did, respect, validate, and reassure young children. And finally, the New York Times, the Adele of the preschool crowd. Could you have imagined? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot, right? Wow. It's weird to hear you say it back to me, honestly. (laughs) I know, because you are this person and you're also you, right? And this, I feel like living as um, you as this creative person who um, found music, or I should say music found you, and what has transpired over the last 25 plus years. And this is a 25th special 25th anniversary of, of some, some big things for you. Right. It's the 25th anniversary of my second album. So wow. last year was the 25th anniversary of my first album. And I had been already working with kids as a music teacher for a, a little while, some years before that. So I've been doing music with kids for quite a long time. So when did music find you? Oh, I was probably, I mean, the earliest memory I have, I think, was of me marching around in my room to Doe a Deer from The Sound of Music. I was not three yet. I was probably about two, maybe a little older than two and a half. I'm not sure that I can remember that far back, but um, I know I wasn't three. And my parents used to say, stay in your room until... um, can't remember if I had to see when the clock was a certain, like where the hands were on the clock or when when we come and get you, you know, but you can do whatever you want in your room. And I had a Fisher Price record player. And that, um, that was one of the songs that was on one of those colored plastic records. And I just, I marched on my bed, on the floor. Like it, it was, I had so much fun. I actually really at the time, I told myself I loved it that my parents were getting up. I don't know yeah. if that was just trying to like <laughs> make a better out of a thing that wasn't so great. But I definitely was like just very into the music at the time. And then were there classes? Was it school, you know, school music performances? When did it get or did it, you know, get more formalized for you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a few different moments that I remember. Um, the, the first time I was in a choir or chorus at school, I was in third grade. And I remember, I remember the song I sang actually that day. It was our school song. I was only in that school for one year, but it was called Spout with Pride. And there was like, we had the words in front of us with a picture of a whale. <laughs> and I can still sing that song. And I remember singing that song and thinking, oh my God, this is incredible to be surrounded by people, other kids. And we were all singing the song together. There was something about the energy of the vibrations of the music, of the joy of all of that, just being physically present with a lot of other kids, you know, humans, Mm -hmm. I felt really like I was bubbling over with happiness. And so I was in chorus or choir basically through every year through the end of high school and then all through college. And then actually once I graduated, 
I still went back. I went to Rutgers in Mm -hmm. New Brunswick, but I had moved into the city and I joined the choir at Rutgers Newark, partly to get health insurance, but partly also because (laughs) I really wanted to be able to keep singing with other people. And um, at that point, I think I was mostly singing by myself when I was writing. So it was just like a that was ongoing and, and, and I just, I don't know, every things that were fun always had to do with music for me. And Mm -hmm. I did take a lot of instruments. I learned clarinet in school and I took piano lessons starting when I was seven. Um, I played violin. I was in the orchestra. I was in the band. And, but then I, I eventually picked up the guitar myself at the end of high school. Um, mostly because I I liked the piano a lot, but I couldn't move around while I was playing it. And <laughs> right. I liked the I liked the clarinet and the violin, but I couldn't sing really when I was playing them. So the guitar let me yes. do both. Nice. And so then when did you become a song? When was the beginning of becoming a songwriter? So when I started, um, well, not when I started, when I finished college, I had, I had, uh, studied psychology and art history. And I thought I was going to, I didn't know what I was going to (laughs) do. I ended up moving back into, I moved into the city. I had grown up in Princeton area in New Jersey. Um, And my parents were like, I thought you wanted to be a musician. That's what you love. You love music. And I was like, no one's going to pay me to be a musician. I can't do that for a living. (laughs) 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 Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So they said, well, how about if we help you out for a year, you can move into the city, do what you can do, figure it out. Um, We'll pay for your, um, your rent. You figure out how to eat and do anything else you want to do for a year. And then from there, it's up to you. It's like, okay, great. Supportive so parents. Wonderfully supportive. supportive parents, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I moved. I mean, I, I was definitely not thinking this was going to work out. But I was happy to try. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's a good year. Yeah. So I, I moved into the city, uh, to the East Village. And um, I just, I had written one song before that. Um, I, I actually spent, I took a year off in college and I went to, um, I lived in Sierra Leone in West Africa Mm. and as an exchange program. And, um, while I was there, I wrote one song I was teaching. I brought a guitar. I taught guitar to some kids. I did a lot of different things while I was there. And, um, but that was sort of it. And I, I thought, I don't know if I can do more than this, but I'm going to start trying. So I would go to cafes and, um, sit with my journal and try and come up with song ideas and sit at home and noodle around on my guitar. And I got myself some gigs at like local coffee shops. And at some point, and I started writing songs and playing them at the coffee shops And at some point I remember sitting, I think I was at Cafe Chenet before it, I think it's closed now, but there was, that was sort of like a hot place in the nineties. And, um, 
I remember sitting there and looking around and thinking like, I hope one day I get to play here and oh my God, maybe this means I'm actually a musician. And mm. so I wrote it in my book. as like, I am a musician. Nice. I am a musician. That's I am your a musician. Intention. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause I, it was so scary. I, I didn't feel like I thought being a musician means I didn't know what it meant. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I, there was some combination of wanting to be acknowledged externally and get paid for what I did or have people want to hear what I had to, what I was creating, but also just my own, my own feeling of wanting to make things. Like I think creativity is Mm -hmm. kind of at the base of everything that I do. Um, It's why I started thinking about writing songs for kids since my job, when I eventually got a year later, after that year, I got a job as a preschool music teacher because of um, my my neighbor who was a, a movement teacher and let me know that this job was available. I had been babysitting for her daughter during my year mm-hmm. of writing. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like that idea of me being a musician um, it was very, it was just scary. Oh, th- there was the external, then there was the internal of mm-hmm. being creative and mm-hmm. my own feeling of, I want to make things, mm-hmm. right? I, I, that feels like growth. It feels like um, exploring myself. And it feels like then I come up with something that I have to give to other people. So all those things were important to me. And once I got the job as a music teacher and I started writing music for kids, I think a lot of it came out of that feeling of wanting to just stay creative in everything that I did. And that turned that job into something that was also creative, mm-hmm. um, as well as being working with kids, which I really liked, and music, which of course I loved. So it, it brought all of those things together. And at the time when you were a music teacher, did you then think of yourself as a musician, a creative musician, or were you like, I'm teaching and doing music and I like kids? You know, was it, when did it start to come together for you? Because I, what I think is so wonderful about the story is this is something that you could only materialize like in your wildest dreams that you didn't even think it could even be possible. And then you set this intention. I'm a musician. And then things happened, right? Like I just think it's always fascinating how one thing happens, which leads us to another thing, which leads us to another thing. And when we just go with it, it's at some point, different point for all of us where we say, oh, wow. I actually am this, or this is actually happening, but it's, it's not at the beginning of the journey. It's somewhere when we're in it, we sort of become aware of it. You know, where you think of yourself as a musician or a teacher. Got it. Okay. So what was happening at that point was that I was teaching during the day, but I was writing music for adults and performing by myself or with a band at Lois Lane. Was that when you were performing with Lois Lane? Lois Lane was a little later. Lois Lane was the last thing. I, uh, that was all female band, band, all female band, Lois Lane. I love that name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was, that was an all female band. That was a cover band. So I wasn't writing for that, but before that I had a band called red onion. And I also played in some friends bands. Um, I played in a band called the Cassandras. That was actually Patrick McGuinn, um, 
Roger McGuinn's son mm. who would like, I just answered an ad in the village voice and it turned out to be um, mm. him. And so we played together for a while. So I was doing that on the weekends and at night. And that was what made me realize after a few years of teaching, which, you know, just was my day job that I could take this part of me that was a songwriter and come and add it into my day job. Mm. Right. So I, I remember like maybe two or three years in, I mean, so as a music teacher, I was untrained and terrified <laughs> and was just like, I had been a camp, a music counselor at a camp for a couple of years. That was also very music oriented. It was run by Pete Seeger's brother, John mm. and, um, up in Vermont. And I had gotten, I was a big Pete Seeger fan and had gotten that job. And so then it's sort of all, all these things kind of all led, like you were saying before, um, things were just sort of one thing followed another. And I thought I could do this job as a preschool music teacher, but I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to manage the kids. I didn't know how to keep them engaged um, mm -hmm. without like hitting each other, running around the room. <laughs> it was total insanity and chaos. chaos. Yeah. Yes. So, which I think is a really, that's a really interesting topic actually is like chaos in the classroom and how much a person can tolerate because that really defines, I think, the kind of space you create in a room like that. But that was what I was dealing with was what could I tolerate because I trusted what I was doing and trusted them and what couldn't, what could, so what, what, I, what couldn't I tolerate? Right. So when they, when they're hitting each other, no, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, making a lot of noise could be musical if I could channel it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I didn't know how to do that. And, um, the story I always tell is that I went and actually observed the woman who had the job before me, Ruth Alperson. And she, she was a trained uh, Dalcro's Eurythmics teacher, which is basically the idea is to use movement when mm. teaching music so that you, the kids feel it in their bodies. And I loved that idea. That totally resonated for me. So I went and I watched her and I re remember thinking, God, she just sits behind the piano and all these kids, they're like three-year-olds. They get up when she says to, they sit down when she says to, they run around, they come back. Like they, they just do everything she says. So I asked her after watching her class, how did you do that? That was like magical. And she said, stop talking and put it in the music. Ooh. And that was like the, that was like a gigantic light bulb for me. Mm -hmm. Sing it. Don't say it. Sing it. Don't say it. You know, just put it all in the music. And so when I start, when I got back to the kids, I don't remember what the timeline was, but not long after that, I remember coming in one day and they just were bouncing off the walls, didn't want to sing anything I had to, had brought in all this like research I'd done at the library, listening mm -hmm. to like records <laughs> stuff yep. in the old days. And I finally just looked at them and I was like, fine, what do you want to sing about? And one kid said, dinosaurs and then all the rest of the kids went yeah dinosaurs that's where it came from that's where yeah. the famous song came from yeah wow and i said great get up we're gonna be dinosaurs <laughs> start marching <laughs> follow me and i just started i was like minor chord minor chord marching stomping stomping minor chord 
I don't know what I'm playing. We are the dinosaurs marching, marching. We are the, and I had a friend who used to always say, what do you think of that? And I was like, we are the dinosaurs. What do you think of that? Woo, we, (laughs) it just went. And they went insane. They were like, yeah. And I thought, oh my God, they're like worse now. What do I do? Stop and take a rest over, you know, stop and eat some food. I forget what the first one was, you know, on the ground, on the ground, on the ground. (laughs) I just kept trying to sing the things that I wanted them to do as dinosaurs. Like if they did it as dinosaurs and I was singing it, they would do it. And I didn't have to yell and I didn't have to beg and I didn't have to run around and chase them around the room. So, and then once they were quiet, it was like, oh, right. Now, now we can march again and there's going to be a level of chaos that's going to happen. And when we get there, it's going to be time to go and lie down again. (laughs) And, and we're going to roar, I promise, but it's at the end of the song. Hold your roaring, hold your roaring. We're going to roar at the end. Then you can be as loud as you want. So the song ended with that. And I don't think I wrote it exactly the way I ended up recording it because I did that one day, kind of forgot about it. Didn't have a didn't yeah. have a cell phone right to right. like record myself. The kids came in the next week and they were like, "Sing the dinosaur song again!" And I thought, "Oh my god, what I don't even right. what did I do?" <laughs> so, it, but then that eventually I started to remember it. Brilliant! That is brilliant, and that and that's lucky. the cor- <laughs> yeah yeah everything converged. I mean that and that is the cornerstone of your music, right? The the movement the. I've read, you know, it's all about what do the kids want to hear, right? You're always thinking about what do they want to hear and 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 how that teaching experience really um, had such a profound influence on what you do. And um, man, that is Absolutely. that is that is a really that is a really cool story. What so what you were talking about creativity. And yeah. how important that process is to you and continues to be. This might be a tough question, but what? How would you describe your creative process? Well, I've actually thought about this a lot recently because I did a like a three hour songwriting for an early edu- early childhood course um, a year or two ago, and I I'm always thinking about like, well is all that right? Should I, how could I talk, you know, how, why am I updating that in my mind? And one of the things that I had to do for that was really think about how I write. And unfortunately what I came up with, with was I don't really have a system, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I kind of was sad about because I was like, oh, if I could just tell people do this and then do this and then do this, it'd be so much easier. Um, There are things I tend to default to. So when I'm my, that creative process for me is often, it's often about being inspired by something. So a phrase, an idea, it could be a musical idea. It could be a theme for a song. It could just be some words that sound cool together. Um, it, it starts from some kernel mm-hmm. and then And then I do try to get sort of like a hook, like some Mm -hmm. hooky thing that I know the song is about and that I'm going to come back to. So that ends up often being either a repeated verse or a chorus, kind of a part of the song. And, um, 
Yeah. And actually now I'm talking more specifically about songwriting and less about creativity, but I do, I, I just try to let myself be inspired or I, I ask, I listen, I go, I literally will like ride the bus mm-hmm. and listen to like eavesdrop and try and listen to things. It's often things that kids say mm-hmm. will inspire my ideas for songs. Um, just align an old song of mine that was like, that was um, one kid, one day when I came into one of my jobs, um, we were sitting around starting to play, do music. And one kid just looked at me and said, I have a song in my tummy and it wants to come out. I was like, okay, that is a song that you just wrote for me. (laughs) And so I wrote, I've got a song in my tummy and it wants to come out. I got a song in my tummy. And then the song moves throughout your body. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, things like that. I just feel like if I, the inspiration comes that way. And then, and then I try to, put it all together. And that is, can be a very messy process. Actually, Mm -hmm. a lot of times I feel like I'm, I stare at the page and I've written 20 different things and they don't make any kind of a shape and I'm trying to create a shape out of them. And then I start to notice, Oh wait, this part is what I want to hear more of. That kind of ends up becoming something more like a chorus. Um, This is this, this part makes me feel this way. And Mm -hmm. I want to, I want that, or I don't want that, you know, well, cr- creativity um, yeah. is messy, right? It's creativity really messy. is messy. <laughs> and it's, it's the other thing I'm hearing from you is, um, it's being open. It sounds like your creative process is when you are open to listening, to observing. And it, it's, um, like, is it something you think you turn on and off or be, or have to be intentional about, or is it always with you? I think it's always there. And in mm-hmm. fact, it's almost better. I, I, it's great when I'm intentional. I do have projects where I'm like, I need to write a song. Or like recently I've been saying to myself, just write one 60-second song a week. Just do it so that you have something new to work from. It doesn't have to be finalized or perfect or anything. But a lot of times it happens when I'm, I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a song. And then I get distracted. I start looking at I don't know, my email or whatever. And then I get up, like, I need a snack. <laughs> I go yeah. in the kitchen. Uh, the dishes need to be done. I start doing the dishes. Like, and I remember one that I wrote recently. I just remember picking up my a glass from the sink and putting it a, uh, away or whatever I was doing. That sounds wrong because I would have had to wash it first. But anyway, I remember I'm with leading, you. I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> I remember opening the cupboard yes. or putting something in the cupboard and thinking like, did you go to Ohio? Oh, oh, yes, I went to Ohio. I went to Ohio. The people were so nice. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, where's my phone? (laughs) You know, so literally stuff like that happens, especially when I'm not really thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. with the proliferation of your songs and what you put out, is there pressure on the creative process to, to produce versus to organically create like Ohio? Well, that was sort of organic. I was probably working on an album at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. that just popped into my head. I, it's sort of both. It depends Mm -hmm. if I have deadlines for a project that I've agreed to write a song for, then there's some pressure I work pretty well under pressure, actually. Mm-hmm. So that is that doesn't 
bother me that much. Um, but, and I also am always thinking of songs. I literally like, I will write songs into my journal and then forget. Like right. I, I am thinking about them a lot. I think of, I pull out my phone. I'm like, oh, da, 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 da. like, oh, I thought of that song. I thought of the melody. I thought of this line. Um, I have hundreds of those on my I phone. Bet. Like it's just yeah. like coming out all the time. But that doesn't mean that they're great or that they're f- for what purpose are they for? A lot of times when I'm writing things, it's just for like just to like get stuff out for me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm writing a song that I want to put, that I want to release as a kid's song, I, I am often thinking like, well, will a kid like this? Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I, can, I can write a song for me. It doesn't mean that a kid would like that song. Right, right. Um, and I do think that there are certain, I mean, so many of my songs is just, just like the dinosaurs. It was just noticing, oh, kids talk about those those things a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember loving that when I was a child. Oh, Mm -hmm. my niece, nephew, friends, kids are doing these things right now. That would be a fun thing to write a song about like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I do really take that into consideration. And I think like, what can a kid do when they're hearing this song? Are they feeling something? Are they moving a part of their body? Mm -hmm. Are they responding by being able to actually sing part of it, even if they're very young. So it has yeah. a clear way to engage. Are they doing, uh, I don't know, whatever, yeah. the thing, you know, all the things. So that reminds me of this great quote from you that says, we are all born with music inside us from the beating of our hearts and the melodies of our voices to the intrinsic rhythm in our movements. The natural musicality of every child opens the door to playfulness joy and creativity my work is focused on engaging the whole child inspiring children to sing move and express their feelings that's powerful i forgot i said that yes you did (laughs) you did what so what what do you think is the impact and importance of music in the lives of children I guess the first thing that comes to mind is music. To me, when I was trying to be a music teacher, my goal was that music should be fun, that it should bring joy. And in a way so that it felt natural, because I think, like I said in that quote, we are all born with it, but it's also easy to quickly decide that we don't do it well enough, um, that it's maybe there's something scary about it. Maybe um, there can be a a bad experience, something like that. So my whole, I felt like my whole goal was to make sure that by the time kids left me at five or six years old, that was not part of, that was not how they experienced music. That music was like just fun, pleasure, a way to communicate feelings, a way to connect with other kids, a way to feel their bodies, um, all of those things. So in that way, I think music impacts kids on all of those levels. And, um, and that if we can learn and like, 
it's like relearning almost, right? If you if you continue to connect to the fact that music is very is just we're born with a sense of wanting to of moving of moving of mm-hmm. moving making sounds of um, doing rhythmic things, like I said, literally like how how our whole body works, our hearts beating, et cetera, our breathing, the way we talk to each other, the way we communicate and take pauses and all of those things we're learning, we're interacting with each other that way. If, if me, I feel like music is actually, it's like it informs mm-hmm. all of that and allows us to practice all those things in a super joyful or can be joyful way. Sometimes mm-hmm. music brings out very difficult feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having that sense of confidence around it allows us actually to be more confident in all of those things, the ways we communicate in having feelings, in mm-hmm. being connected to people, like in moving our bodies, um, in, in understanding playful, fun things in like sort of catching a joke or being able to make one and, and, and be rhythmic together to do things as a group. Mm-hmm. All of those things come through music. Um, mm-hmm. so it's sort of hard to pinpoint anything small, but I do, I, I sort of think of it as like, a direct line from music to like world peace, <laughs> you know, maybe we yes. can stop seeing each other yes. people as other, yeah. right. Yeah. We see the connection. Yes. And I, your words also made me think of the healing power of mm. music and rhythm and movement Beautiful. Um, that, yeah. that, right. That tribal cultures have been using for centuries to bring people back from from battles, from war, from from all types of traumas, and now how in um, our culture, the rhythm and the movement therapies have really become about healing and um, helping people heal through trauma. And and so this is trauma with a big T, or also just our our traumas of living and being human. Um, how music connects us, and um, I'm using the word again. I feel it's healing. Yeah, that's. That's so beautiful and so right on, I think. I mean, while you were talking, I was getting chills. And that's something that happens to me like when I'm in the studio. If I feel like I've done, I listen back and I hear something that feels like, oh, everything came together in the right way. I get chills. I'm like, okay, that one's done. And I feel like there was something about what you said. It's like there there are memories connected to music, right? So we have these ways of working through feelings of feeling triumphant of like you were just talking about like you know struggling having achieved something sharing that joy together working through something that's painful scary um Mm -hmm. I think so much about families who write to me and say their kids are going through a medical procedure they're they have cancer they're in the hospital they're dealing with things and they put on my music and it brings like it allows them to feel positive during that time um mm-hmm. you know so literally healing in that way right mm-hmm. and but but just that feeling of the memories that we connect to the music i think there's something so powerful in that because then the words and the music they mean so much more than just what's on the paper or what's being 
sung or played or listened to. And then there is some connection to the vibrations that I think I felt when I was in third grade. Right. And mm-hmm. also the, the action, like we're right. it's just bringing all the parts of our humanness, our humanity together, right. right. Um, action of creating a rhythm or making that music or even just receiving it, like just mm-hmm. listening, letting yeah. it wash over ourselves, let it bring up the memories, let it bring up feelings, let it create the chills, you know, all of those experiences. Um, Those are healing in themselves because they move us from one place to the next. And I think that's what allows us to grow and heal in general. Mm -hmm. So it's been 25 years since your second album. It's the anniversary and this is one billion streams later. Like it's mind blowing. One billion <laughs> streams, downloads. Um, in this twenty fifth anniversary, is there anything, any, any, any song or part of a song on that album in this anniversary that we are celebrating that you would care to share with us today? Yeah, sure. Okay. You think for a second. So that second album was called Buzz Buzz because of my song Bumblebee, Buzz Buzz, which mm-hmm. I could play some of that. I could tell you. I remember writing this song sitting on my bed. I had actually written a song that I was stealing the chords from that was supposed to be for adults. It was called Blue Eyed Beauty. I had a few like demo tapes mm-hmm. <laughs> when I started out, and that was one of the songs that I played a lot. Um, when I performed and stuff for for adults, and I loved, I I loved the beginning of the chord progression, and I remember thinking like, well, why don't I write a kid song and just play with those chords? And they changed; they're not the same. But um, but that was sort of where it came from. It was just, what are we in tune here? Yeah, I think the original one was. Wait. This was the original. So I started in B minor and then changed the third chord. And that became buzz. I was sitting in my garden when I saw a bumblebee. And at the time I had a kid in one of my classes named Oscar. He said his name was Oscar. And he went buzz, 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 Bumblebee, can't you see? It's just you and me. A one, a two, a one, two, three, go. Buzz, 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 and all that one, two, three, go, and buzzing. They were supposed to be flying around the room. Nice. You know that. I felt that this sounds so good on our, oh, on our good. connection here. <laughs> and when I was listening to your other songs in preparation um, on your wonderful website, which we'll tell people about, um, I I was moving like I'm like it's moving, and I was thinking I was laughing also because um, our kids are a bit older, so I we got 
overdosed with the Wiggles when our kids were young. Um, and that's a certain kind of music and a certain kind of, um, you know, it draws kids in. Your music is how I would, how I felt it and I, how I was just moving as you were singing. It feels like music for all ages with just different lyrics. I mean, the music and the sound just s speaks to me in ways that is different than I think what is more traditional kids' music, if, that, if that's such a thing. And I mean, have you ever, is that, is that where you are the Adele? And is that where, I mean, what is, <laughs> you know, do you feel like there is a difference in your music to children than others? Mm. I definitely used to feel that way a lot when I started. And that was why I was writing it, because I couldn't find music like what I wanted to, to play and sing myself. And that seemed like kids really connected to it. So it was like finding that, mm -hmm. the straddling that, right? Like, what do I want to, I used to sometimes play, you can't always get you what you want by the <laughs> Rolling Stones for yeah. the kids. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> because I love that song and right. I thought it was funny too, because they were always talking about that, like their right. teachers telling them that. Right. So, so I wanted to write, write music that I wouldn't mind playing over and over. Yeah. In fact, I would like love hopefully playing over and over, which thank God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> over and um, over. Yeah. Right. I just thought it, I yeah. meant, you know, come yeah. going into the classroom, but yes, exactly. Over and over and over. I, I, we are the dinosaurs was one of the first things I ever wrote. I play that at every single concert I do. So, yeah. um, but I also knew that it doesn't help to write a song that I like if it also isn't something that really connects to the kids, if I'm writing it for working with them. Right. Right. So, so it's, and I don't, I think that's harder to find. So it's a little hard to talk about myself compared right. to other people yes. just cause it's, you know, it's like whatever yes. it's me, but I do notice that it's harder to find music that kids really like, like sometimes that it can be, it can be very repetitive. And so that can be annoying to adults, right? Mm -hmm. The repetitiveness mm -hmm. and also maybe a simplicity of the melody um, um, or, or the, the theme, the, the content, right. Might not be as relevant because it's about something that, you know, they don't care about as much anymore because it is about dinosaurs, right? Or, or whatever the Goldfish. Song. Goldfish, right. Yes. The silliness of that, like, right. wait a minute, we're fish. We don't brush our teeth. You know, like that's very funny to a three or four-year-old and <laughs> less funny to a grown-up, but, you know, they'll go along with it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think that a lot of times there are so many people who write great songs and they are family songs because the whole family can listen and they produce them really well and they're amazing musicians and I don't know what the hook is for a four-year-old. Right. Or I hear songs where it's like very clearly any four-year-old would love this song and if you're an adult, 
it might drive you bananas, you know, after four or five times listening. It's harder to find that in between, which I feel yes. like has always been like, that's what I want to make. I want the in between. Yes. So I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yes. <laughs> um, and a lot of it does, the relevance does often come out in the content. Well, I feel you have found the recipe. Given, um, given your following and the success that you've had for a quarter of a century. It is time for the parent footprint moment question. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life your child, and or those you love? So the thing that comes to mind for me was when my daughter, who's now 18, mm. <laughs> but when she was about three, I remember standing at the edge of Broadway and waiting for the light to change. And it's a long crossing because you have to cross both directions with a median in between. And we were holding hands and the light changed. And I said, okay, Luce, let's go. And she, I don't know if she didn't move or she just was sort of looking around and we didn't end up crossing <laughs> because we didn't, like we wouldn't have made yep. it by the time she got ready. Mm -hmm. And I, in my like, we have places to go. I don't remember where we were going. We had somewhere to go, somewhere to be. I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I got to get this kid across the street. But I don't want to scoop her up. And I want her to be able to walk, but I can't drag her. And okay, we're now we're going to have to wait <laughs> for the next light again, right? And then we did, and it was fine. And we got across the street. And wherever we were going, we got there on time. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, okay, it is really important to follow mm. what is happening for my kid. Mm -hmm. And I had gonna have, I'm gonna have countless ideas of what I think is the right thing to do in any moment, but they may not actually be right for her. And the only way I'm going to discover any of that, and I'm certainly going to make a million mistakes along the way, but to, in order to discover any of that, I have to be willing to follow her. And that was just sort of, that stuck with me ever since then. I don't know if I've always nice. been great at it, but yeah. like I definitely still think about that today. That is a moment of awareness. Um from a long time ago and, and something that well, I follow it's so important what you're saying. And so interesting. It was just a moment, right? It was, it, it wasn't even a dramatic moment, but it was this moment of this, I would say really profound awareness of following versus always leading and taking a step back and putting our own agendas, um, which are often too filled and too pressured anyways, aside to let our kids be kids as long as they can um, right. on their journey. Right, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yes, and your music and uh, yourself with us today. Tell everyone you're on tour. You've got it's your 25th anniversary of your second album, 
<laughs> where tell everyone where where to where to find you uh well my website is lauriaberkner.com so everything you can kind of start there for everything um concerts and music and videos but also um if you have kids young kids or also i have a lot of um people who follow me who are older but are um especially if they're autistic lots of mm-hmm. different people um so just throwing it out yes. there you can, yes. the, the fun thing uh, a place to really go would also be my youtube page so um that's i think it's Lori berkner band youtube channel well, clearly with 1 billion total streams and 22 million monthly streams, I don't think you're very difficult to find. So <laughs> That's right. I'm yes. on Facebook and yes. TikTok and Yes. I'm scarily still on Twitter and yes. um, and Instagram yes. and all those places. Yeah. Yes, and to your point, this is beyond young children. I mean, everyone I'm was moving around in my kitchen as I was listening and um, people of all ages, neurodiverse populations. I mean, the music just moves you. So take a listen, everyone. Thank you. Um, Thanks. And best of luck. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you listen and move around and dance and share this with other people you know who will benefit from the same. Think about creativity and movement and expression in your life and those of the young people that you love. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Thank you for being a part of our community. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become. And ask yourself that guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.